Welcome to the Rabbi Greenberg Show, the podcast that brings Jewish knowledge to you. Jacob, or Yaakov, is returning from his uncle Lavan, where he got married, raised children, and now he's returning to the land of Canaan, and he was not sure what his brother Esau's reaction is going to be, because we know that when Yaakov appropriated the blessings from his father, Esau conspired to kill him. And that's one of the reasons he fled to Haran with his uncle Lavan. The other reason was, of course, to establish a family. But now on his way back, he sends out scouts to see what Esau's intentions are. And he discovers that Esau is coming towards him with 400 heavily armed men. So Jacob has to take many precautions. He divides the camp into two. He prays, but he also sends an elaborate gift to his brother Esau. And he sends the gift with his servants, and he tells them this is what they should do if Esau asks him, asks them, what is this all about? So let me just read what the text in the Torah says. When my brother Esau encounters you and questions you, saying, and he asks three questions, Whose are you? Where are you going? And to whom belong all of these things before you? Because he was sending a lot of cattle, a lot of elaborate gifts. So what should the answer be? This is the answer Jacob tells his servants to say to Esau, We belong to your servant Jacob. That's the answer to the first question. The first question was, whose are you? We belong to our servant Jacob. The second question, where are you going? This is a gift, a mincha in Hebrew, sent to my master, to Esau. And the third question, and to whom belong all of these things before you? Behold, he is himself behind us. These are the three questions. Where are you going? Or whose are you first? And number two, where are you going? And number three, to whom belong all of these things before you? And the answer is we belong to our servant Jacob. This is a gift sent to my master, Esau. And behold, he, Jacob, is himself behind us. One of the great Hasidic masters, known as the Chedushi Harim, says that these three questions that Jacob says Esau will ask parallel the three questions mentioned in Ethics of the Fathers. In Ethics of the Fathers, it says we should reflect on three things, and this will prevent us from coming to the handles of sin. What are the three things? The first thing is we should reflect from where do you come, and the second thing that you have to reflect on is where are you going, and the third thing is before whom are you going to give judgment and accounting. And these three questions are almost identical to the three questions that Esau is going to be is going to ask, which raises a very basic self-understood question. These are three questions that ethics of the fathers say one should ask in order to keep away from sin. So would that be Esau's intention when he's asking these questions to help people avoid sin? 
Esau was a sinister character. Esau was someone who was plotting to murder his own brother after he had committed similar crimes in the past. Esau was a criminal. So why would he want to ask Jacob three questions that would help to give Jacob some strength in his relationship with God? So the simple answer is that Esau had different intentions. He was asking these questions to demoralize us. Now, we have to understand that any, every detail of this story is not just about the past, our forefather Jacob and his confrontation with his brother Esau. Esau symbolizes the impediments and obstacles we have into serving God. And Esau comes to us with three questions to demoralize us, to inhibit us, to prevent us from forging ahead. And every person in his or her own life has certain goals. And there are so many things that cause us to abandon our goals. And one could reduce those three things, those attempts to abandon our goals, to three things. And those three things are these three questions. The question of who do you come from, where are you going, and before whom are you going to give a judgment. But if we take this in a more broad sense, although it applies to every individual, to the micro, it also applies, and perhaps primarily, to the macro. We have a goal. We are going in a direction that takes us to the fulfillment of God's plan for the creation of the universe. And that plan will be fully realized and come to fruition with the coming of Mashiach and the final redemption. That is the final goal. And we are well along our way to that goal, but the goal has still proven to be elusive. And one of the things that prevent us from realizing that goal is the impediments that the internal Esau tries to put in our way, an obstacle to prevent us from reaching our goal. And what are these three challenges that Esau poses to us? The first challenge he asks us, where do we come from? You think, Esau says to us, that you're going to reach a point in time when you will be able to see how the world is going to change, a revolutionary change in the world for the good, and you think that you are going to achieve that? Who do you think you are, Esau tells us, the internal Esau tells us. Who do you think you are? You're not a scion of some illustrious family. You don't come from aristocracy. You don't come from the high-level spiritual individuals. You're just a regular guy. Your parents were regular people. You don't have this pedigree. So do you think that you are empowered to change the world, you little person? Think small. Don't have any grandiose plans for the future. Be satisfied that you can do a mitzvah here, a mitzvah there. Esau is very clever. He doesn't just tell us to abandon Judaism totally. He just says, think small. Don't think that you have the power, that you were endowed with the power to change the world. You don't have that power. And he hopes to prevent us from even going on the road. The road is a long road, winding road, and you are too small to be able to traverse that road. Well, Esau isn't successful. 
we ignore him and we then start to go on this road. But Esav has plan B. And he says to you, where do you think you're going? He doesn't, think, he doesn't talk to us about our past. Who do we think we are? We have no real illustrious past. He talks to us about the future. Yes, maybe you're, you're a, a nice guy. Maybe you're well-intentioned. But you know how long the path is? You know how winding the road is? You know how insurmountable the obstacles are? So yes, you started on the road, but you'll never go there. You'll never reach there. So just take a detour, go someplace else, or go back, retrace your steps. Don't think you're going to reach the end. You're not going to reach the end. And then when the internal Asav doesn't succeed in getting us to stop, to abort the mission, then the internal Asav comes with plan C. And he tells us, who do you think is going to be in the future? Who will be around in the future? According to our tradition and our sages, in the Messianic age, and this is also rooted in the Torah, in the Tanakh, in the Messianic age, the dead will come back to life. Among them will be the patriarchs and Moses and all the greatest sages of the Talmud and the later generations, the Baal Shem Tov, and all of the greatest and holiest people, the most brilliant people, the most spiritual people, do you think you will rate in comparison with them? You'll be so embarrassed. You're so puny, so insignificant. So why do you even want to go all that way and you're going to discover before whom you're going to be judged? Judging in the sense of they're going to look at you and say, you're, you're, not, even a, you're not even an insect relative to the giants that will be around. So these are the three challenges that the internal ace of poses to any person who wants to progress towards a goal. The first challenge is, who do you think you are? Then the second challenge is, how do you think you're going to be able to reach your goal? And the third challenge is, when you finally reach your goal, you'll discover how mediocre you really are. This could be applied to every individual. Yeah, you're going to make a goal for yourself to reach a certain level, but you know what? People are not level are a dime a dozen, and the people who are on a higher level is not something that you can achieve. And then on the grandiose scale of the macro scale of reaching to the messianic age, the ace of internally says to us, you're a nobody, where do you think you're going? And if you get there, you'll be disappointed, you'll be embarrassed. What is the response? The response that Jacob gives to the servants that they should say to Esau, we belong to your servant Jacob. What does that mean? That responds to the first challenge. Who do you think you are? You don't come from an illustrious past? Indeed we do. Every Jew is a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Every Jew has an illustrious past. Every Jew inherits the great spirituality and holiness of these people. Someone once came to the Rebbe, and told the Rebbe that he had a service for many Jews who have no background. And the Rebbe says there's no such thing. Every Jew has a background. Every Jew is a descendant of the patriarchs and the matriarchs. And therefore, every Jew is endowed with tremendous potential. So if you think that you're a nobody, that's not true. We are all empowered to change the world. Indeed, God chose us 
as descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and those who convert Judaism in accordance with the laws of the Torah, we are all descendants and heirs to their spirituality and empowered to change the world and bring about the final redemption. But then the second challenge is, where do you, how do you, where do you think you're going? You're, you're, you're not going to reach the end because you don't have the wherewithal to go this long distance. So you may be an important person, but you still don't have the means to do it. And what is the response? The response is, this is a gift, a mincha, a modest offering. This is the small gesture of a poor person. In the Torah, we're told that when a poor person brings an offering, a paltry offering of flour and oil, which is nothing compared to the more elaborate offerings of sacrifices of big animals. The Torah, when it refers to the offering of a poor person, refers to it as imnefesh, if a soul brings the offering. And our sages tell us, what does that mean? That the poor person, more so than anyone else, offers and gives his soul to God. Yes, you may be some insignificant person, but you are carrying with you a mincha. Your little contribution means so much because you're giving, you're putting your whole soul in it. And you know what? This is a mincha to Esav. We owe Esav a debt of gratitude. Why? Because ironically, you are what makes our paltry mincha possess the power that it possesses. Because you posed this obstacle, you created this obstacle for us, this empowered us, this strengthened us, this energized us, to give all of our energy to be able to reach the goal. So Esav, thank you very much for making our lives difficult and making us, giving us this challenge because this elicited from us the greatest resources that push us forward to reach the goal. But Esav still has the third quiver, the third arrow in his quiver, rather. And what is that? Yes, you'll reach the goal, but you'll be a nobody there. Compared to the patriarchs, compared to the holy sages of the Talmud, compared to the Baal Shem Tov, compared to the great tzaddikim, righteous people of all generations, you will be so insignificant, you will be embarrassed. And the answer to that is, no. Behold, he himself is behind us. Jacob is behind us. What does that mean? That means that, yes, we may be small, we may be insignificant in and of ourselves, but we carry within us the cumulative energy of all the generations going back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, when you do a mitzvah, you generate holiness, you generate divine energy, you illuminate the world. Whether we see it or not is irrelevant. It's there, and it accumulates. So when we do a mitzvah right now, it's not just one mitzvah. It's one mitzvah on top of all the mitzvahs. And all the good things that were done throughout history all accumulates into that one mitzvah. We're like the child standing on the shoulders of a giant. Even though we're just a child, short, but since you're standing on the shoulders of giants, you can see even further than the giant. We have power because Jacob is behind us. And because he's behind us, we have more power than anyone else. But it goes even beyond that. Not only is 
Jacob behind us in the sense that we accumulate what he generated, but in a certain sense, we are superior to our forebears. We're superior to the greatest and the holiest of people. Why is that? Precisely because we live in an era in which there are so many challenges and so many obstacles, so many things that cover up the reality of God, the reality of Torah, the reality of the commandments. We're living in a world where there's so many threats of assimilation. And of course, throughout history, we suffered terrible persecution, unparalleled persecution. And we remain faithful to God. And we remain faithful to the teachings of the Torah. So, yes, Esav, we may be very small, but that smallness is not an obstacle, doesn't make us insignificant. Because the fact that in our smallness, we're able to achieve greatness, because we're able to see through the darkness, see the light in the, through the darkness, and live our lives as Jews after all the attempts by our enemies, by the asubs of history, to destroy us or to entice us. And we withstood those tests, so we will not be ashamed when they compare us to the great sages of the past, to the patriarchs of the past. In a way, we actually transcend the great people of the past because of the challenges that we uniquely have. The Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe, once commented on the verse in the Torah that says that Moses was the most humble person on the face of the earth. What made Moses so humble? And he gave a very original explanation. He said there's a tradition recorded in the Talmud that God gave Moses a view of all of the future of the Jewish people. And Moses, when he was shown the last period of exile, and he saw the suffering of the Jewish people, the challenges that we have, and in spite of all that, we remain Jewish, we remain faithful to Judaism, he was humbled by that that a Jew in a concentration camp, a death camp, was able to live as a Jew to the extent that he was able to, not lose his faith. The fact that in the Soviet gulag, Jews gave their lives to be able to keep Judaism, this is something that floored even Moses. When Moses saw the Jews in the United States of America and in the Western world in general, in spite of all the assimilationist forces, remains faithful to being Jewish, to pure Jewish teaching and not adulterating it in any way, not being a product of assimilation, that is something that is unique. And I'd like to conclude with one incident. A young man who was con contemplating marrying out of the religion, and no rabbi could convince him that that would not be a good thing. He came to the Rebbe, and the Rebbe said to him just three words, I envy you. And the man was floored, and the Rebbe explained, you have a challenge that I don't have, and if you meet that challenge, you can reach the highest of levels, something that I can never do because I don't have that challenge. And the Rebbe said, therefore, I envy you. And that's what will happen when Mashiach comes, and we'll see this, the great people of the past who will look at us, of our generation, of Jews who remain faithful to Judaism, and will say, we envy you. Thanks for listening to The Rabbi Greenberg Show.